We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernane. Joining us for this episode is John O'Sullivan. John is the founder of Changing the Game Project and the author of a brand new book out right now, Every Moment Matters. How the world's best coaches inspire their athletes and build championship teams. So I've read the book, I flew through it, really, really enjoyed it. It's different, it's different from a lot of other kind of coaching philosophy books, gives you a lot of different examples at different levels, especially here in the US. It's one thing that I really enjoyed and was really looking forward to talking to John about. So we go through the book. We're not going to ruin it for you, but I highly recommend you get a copy of it and you read it. Let me know what you think at Gary Kernin on Instagram, at Gary Kernin on Twitter. A big, big thank you for everyone in Baltimore who came out and, and attended the presentations that I did up there. Really enjoyed putting it together. So if you have any questions about it, please don't be afraid to ask. Gary at ModernSoccerCoach.com Before we get started, a special shout out to our friends over at Sports Lab 360. If Soccer IQ is something you think your team could improve on, stick around at the halfway point for a special offer from Nick Manzoni and the Sports Lab 360 team. Okay, here is John. Enjoy. John, thanks very much for joining me for the Modern Soccer Coach podcast today. Very excited to have you on. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm I'm excited to be here. <laughs> this will be good. This will be good. So congrats on the book. I've I just told you there, I've tore through a fair part of it. It, it really gets you thinking. So there's a, there's a few things I want to ask you and there's one or two things I I want to challenge as well on it, so th- I think this will be a good Amen. conversation. I that th- those are the those are the best ones for me <laughs> because right we, we all know in coaching that sometimes it depends is the best answer, right? For sure. Just to to start, really, uh, I was interested to get your perspective. You you start the book in a really uh, vulnerable story from your own experience, and you know it does get you thinking that as you read the book, and and I and I, that there really stuck with me. Your story really stuck with me about the impact that you thought you were making and you reflected and you you really wanted to make a bigger impact so was the inspiration for the book behind that personal story or was it behind this this place that you think coaching is at the minute where the the personal relationships are somewhat taking a backseat I I think it's all those things right we're all on a journey and I'm 48 years old now and I am not the same coach that I was when I was 28 nor do I think you, you ever should be, right? And we go through things in life as we get further, maybe from our playing days and deeper into our coaching days. And we go through personal things. We have our own children, things like that. And, and, it, and it changes you. But along that journey, we have these moments, right, that, that just affect us and make us take a step back and give us more self-awareness or insight or pride or whatever it is. And certainly, you know, throughout the book, I try to share i mean stories from pep guardiola to steve kerr to anson dorrance you know tons of top coaches and then you know my my own stories as well um 
which is my journey. Because I think really the, the top end coach, regardless of sport, is really well served. Um, but I think so many of the grassroots coaches and stuff are the ones who, you know, they get they, they get missed, they get overlooked. And yet they're the ones who are that point of first contact in our sport. And how many kids, um, you know, drop out before they ever get a trained coach or a good coach or someone who gets it. And so I really want to make an impact on all levels. Context is so important. And we'll talk about this in a little bit. But one one interesting thing that I, that I enjoyed in the book was, well, not the only interesting thing, but one of the many interesting things I enjoyed in the book was mm-hmm. that when you go, like everyone's reading Pep Confidential across the world. So there's no difference in that there. But when you go to England or the UK or Ireland, whatever it is, you look at people's bookshelves and they're pretty American driven in terms of, you know, they've got Belichick or John Mm -hmm. Wooden. And when you come over here to America and you go to a coach's bookshelf, you'll see Klopp, Pep, everything but an American (laughs) coach. And this is what I think is really important is that your book actually I don't know if a challenge or inspires you to look closer to home for those connections, like even even from other sports with with Carol and Kerr as well. You know, do you think that's important for young coaches that are coming up, especially in the soccer community over here? Definitely, because I think there's, you know, sometimes as a, a soccer coach, right, and this is what I do, you can, you know, you, you you it's this metaphorical pit, and you keep wanting to learn, and you keep digging deeper and deeper into your own pit instead of picking your head up and looking outside and looking what's there. And I would say, you know, since I started Change the Game Project six, seven years ago, one of the greatest things that I've been able to do that has made me so much of a better coach is look outside of the sport because there's the X's and O's, the technical and the tactical side of coaching. And yes, you know, for the most part, that's soccer specific or that's invasion game specific. Um, But you know, when, when you look at what's coaching, that's how do you inspire? How do you build teams? How do you communicate? Uh, how do you create culture? And, and that's just working with human beings. And so there's so much we can learn outside of our sport that if the only thing you're looking for is within your sport, you're really missing on a wealth of opportunities and a wealth of great knowledge out there. And it can just be from, from business. You know, I mean, when I, when I talk to Steve Kerr's when I when I talk to really top top coaches they're all reading leadership books they're reading Har- Harvard Business Review <laughs> mm-hmm. right so so this idea that we can only learn from inside our sport I think just you know you're you're selling yourself short yeah for sure I'm, we're going to stick with this here because <laughs> create I love this creativity was something that I think it was in in the second chapter you say creativity was one of the is one of the important traits of a, of a successful or a great coach. Um, mm-hmm. But again, that definition of creativity, for example, if you went on Twitter today and put a Rondo in a Z shape, it, it would get <laughs> 5,000. If you said it was done in Spain, it'd get 5,000 likes. But, yeah. but yet, and this is where I think we need to challenge ourselves, and, I, and I'm guilty of this more than anyone else. I, I'd done an interview last week with a specialist coach in England, who basically is traveling over to America back and forth a couple of times a year to to get insights into different cultures, hockey, NBA, NFL. But we, you know, we are looking sometimes we won't even look beyond in college coaching, we won't even look beyond our office to see who's doing what. But that is a form of creativity, right? 
Uh, d- definitely. And, and I think, you know, even maybe the bigger um, umbrella that falls on, under is be a lifelong learner. I mean, if there is one common characteristic of, or let's say two common characteristics, and I've worked with coaches in Aussie rules, football, rugby, you name it, right? It's, it's one that they understand that the relationship game is incredible, uh, you know, super important. And then number two, that they're lifelong learners. They, they never stop learning, you know, and I, I share a story in the book that my friend Rob Miller um, told me on, on my podcast, The Way of Champions. Um, he was at this national basketball coaches convention and uh, he's listening to his, his friend is doing the speech and this wiry hand taps him next and he turns to the guy and it's John Wooden and he's 91 years old. And he's like, he's like, Hey, can you take notes for me? And Rob's like, uh, you're John Wooden. Right. And he said, he said, no, I'll, there's definitely something I can learn from this. Can you please take some notes? Right. John Wooden's taking notes at 91 how many of us as coaches are sitting in the back of the room kicking our feet up thinking we know it all? And mm-hmm. so if you want to, you know, truly model a master coach, you better be open to always learning something new, asking great questions. And again, not just from within your sport, but from every sport, because you can learn from everybody. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're a soccer guy, John, right? You've, you've mm-hmm. worked at the college level and have all every badge going uh, and but you've also then stepped away from soccer and seen other sports and work with other coaches. Is this a soccer thing? Where and, and what I want to what I'm trying to hit here is that basketball don't have badges, right? So they don't have coaching badges to be an NBA coach or a college coach. But basketball coach education, it almost seems like they have a responsibility at these basketball coaching events to to share an exercise or is it coaching university what, mm-hmm. coaching you like their stuff's amazing and you see doc Rivers sitting in the front row of stuff but mm. that does not exist in in the u.s soccer coaching culture that doesn't exist or am i being harsh no i mean i think you know it, in general yeah I, I think there's a great you know we're very blessed in the world of soccer or the world of football, because it's such a global game, right? And it's done so differently in so many different parts of, of the world. And so, you know, when I go to Belgium or I go to Spain or I go to Ireland or I go to England, it, it looks different, right? And if you go to South America and certainly live in the United States, it looks different in LA than it looks in Oregon where I live, right? So we are blessed in that it's such a global game compared to like baseball, right? Where they get very insular. But we also have, I think, too much ego sometimes that gets in the way. And this is why I think sometimes going outside of our sport is great because, you know, when a bunch of soccer coaches sit around the table, our ego gets in the way a little bit of, you know what, if Gary knows more than me, I don't want to say anything and sound stupid, right? But if you're the soccer guy and I know volleyball and someone else knows ice hockey and someone else knows swimming, and we meet in the middle and we talk about coaching, the ego is kind of gone, right? Because you're the specialist in your area. And so I think it takes a very self-aware coach to get their ego out of the way so that they can learn. Um, And it also, again, I I think, um, you know, we have to constantly be looking and, and it's not just about getting a license, like a license is important, but getting a d- diploma or going over to Spain and sitting in on some, 
you know, trainings, you're going to learn a ton there too. Who cares if you don't get anything out of it, that piece of paper that says, you know, more because you're going to be a better coach for it. You mentioned there about self-awareness and, and that was something that I, I don't know if it's, if it's me getting older or doing podcasts, but it, it, it is a major difference maker and successful people when you speak to them and their level of not only their level of self, but knowledge of self, but also their impact in a room. You do some activities to develop self-awareness, which I you know, I was really excited to see that towards, I think it was chapter two, maybe chapter three, and define your coaching purpose, which again, I loved. But here's my challenge, John. What happens when you're doing this or what happens when you're helping a coach who maybe thinks that they're self-aware, but maybe is not self you know, How do you improve someone's self-awareness for someone who isn't aware? Yeah, and, and this is our greatest challenge, right? Especially if we're a, a coaching director, and I've worn that hat, right? I've been a technical director, a coaching director. I had many coaches working under me. And, you know, this idea of, you know, what you think you are and what you really are are two different things. Um and, and so there's, there's, there's different ways to do that. But, you know, sometimes we have this tendency to, to be, someone said to me once, right, we're vampires. I'm like, what does that mean? They're like, we don't see our reflection in the mirror, right? <laughs> so we see the problems in everyone else, but not in ourselves. And so, um, you know, I, I think number one, one of the things that I like to do when I ran like a, a, a club is I don't necessarily think that most parents are qualified to answer the question is, is, you know, Gary, a good coach, because they don't have your knowledge and expertise and their understanding, your understanding of the game. Um, but I can ask them, um, would you recommend this club and this coach to a friend or family member? Right. And, and that's a question that I think a parent is, is qualified to make that can at least give me some insight. And if you, if you're coaching for me, Right. And you have 16 families on your team and 14 of the 16 say, no, I wouldn't. And if that doesn't um, make you take a step back and go, maybe I'm not on the right path here, then, you know, you probably shouldn't be coaching. Right. Because it's not them at that point. It's you. If one family says, no, I wouldn't. And 15 say, yeah, you're probably on the right track. Um, and, and so I think sometimes these are tools that we can use to gain greater insight into ourselves, you know, um, understanding are, are we trusted? Are we in it for there? Where, where do players rate us on our or families rate us on our own self-interest versus our, our interest in others and serving them first? And so I think these are all things that as a coaching leader, um, you know, we should be creating a culture within our organization where, hey, you know what, please, Gary, come assess my practice. Tell me what's going on. Tell me what you saw that was good. Tell me what needs work. And let's talk about it. And I think far too many organizations don't do that because they're just scrambling to keep up. Um, and so we ask our players to practice, but we never practice our own coaching. We just go and coach. So whether you're videoing it or you're getting some feedback from a trusted source, that's, I think, what will make you better. And staying on that there, I think that, Another challenge that coaches have, and for example, this is what I believe in is happening. So if I'm wrong, you correct me. A coach that will say, listen, come by and watch a practice. What do you think? I think they're going to talk about two things. I think they're going to talk about the players. Ah, such Susie's got a great first touch or Johnny isn't good enough or the exercise. Oh, I like that there. You could have added that there. But coaches peer-to-peer -peer challenging 
improvement, development, whatever you want to call it, these conversations I don't see, I don't believe are happening at a very high level. And is it because we're getting more comfortable and talking down to kids rather than talking across to people? You know, I'm not sure. But again, on that, you talk about the athlete-centered approach at Belgium and they have a coaching self-assessment. Putting those two things together, are we more critical of kids uh, because we can get away with talking down to them than we are talking to peers or looking in within? Well, yeah, and it's easier to... You know, it's it's much easier as a coach when things don't go right to blame the players than it is to look at yourself first and say, well, could I have done differently? Mm-hmm. Right. And certainly, again, 28 year old John would have blamed the kids and 48 year old John says, well, what could I have done better in that session where the activity is right? Where the you know, was my communication good? Did I try to cover too much? Um, before I go, yeah, the kids aren't focused and they don't care. They all suck. Let me get a new job. Right. And so um, I think. That is our, uh, again, goes into this self-awareness piece. And certainly Belgium is a great example of revamping a system to go from, you know, number 66 to number one in the world by putting the player first. And what are the needs of the person in front of us rather than, you know, making it coach centric, which is all about what I need from this. So when it's, you know, who's in front of me, then we're asking ourselves, you know, questions such as, you know, we're focusing on the process and we're, we're, we're developing not just competence, but we're developing character and we're developing connection and we're developing all these other things that really matter. And, and then also, you know, does this serve the needs of, of the kid in front of me or does this serve me, which is, man, I got to win this weekend or so I feel good about myself. And so, there's a big push around the world across many sports for athlete centered coaching. And I think as coaches, you know, to have a deeper understanding of that and then, and then really, you know, ask yourself in this moment, am I, is what I just said or what I just did, is that serve the needs of the kids in front of me or is that serving me? Right. We just lost a game. I'm angry. I give my team a blistering. Uh, it's like vomit. I feel better. Everyone else feels worse. You know, at the end of that moment, um, you know, was that really, did that really serve them? Did they actually learn anything from that? Or did they just feel worse about themselves leaving this field? And, and you know, these are these moments that we don't have to be perfect, but we at least have to be reflective. Yeah, that reflective piece is so important. And, you know, I, I'm, you know I'm sure you've sat in these rooms where you've sat in front of 50, 60 coaches and you've brought up this, athlete centered or the player, you know, starts with the player and you'll have 60 people nodding at you. And the reality is, is that not everyone is coached, you know, over here, we're not, the player is not at the center of what we're doing. So one question I wanted to ask you was what, what are ways or processes or behaviors that would show that the player is not at the center of what you're doing? I suppose, what does that look like? Not giving kids playing time. Right. That's probably the number one violation of it that I see. Right. Never letting a kid start a game, Um, you know, not giving them meaningful playing time, meaning, you know, hey, five minutes and then you're off. Um, Having a kid who who struggles with, you know, when things are going poorly in the game, uh, you know, how many kids have you coached that the previous coach, when things are going poorly, they just sub them out, let them sort it out. And I come in and like, no, stay in there figure out how to play through it. 
And you know what? In the moment, they hate you. But six years later, when they're playing at a really good level and they don't get a sub, they're like, Coach, you know, thanks for that because you were the first one who made me learn how to deal with adversity while still playing in the moment. So it, when when we make decisions, substitutions, um, playing time things, whatever it is, based upon um, – on I'll do whatever it takes to win this U12 game, um, you're not being player-centered, right? You're not taking the long view. You're not winning the race to the right finish line. And so, you know, we've made progress in the game in this country by going to, you know, small-sided games and certainly made progress in, you know, revamping coaching education and making it not a, uh, you know, how do we select people out? But, hey, if you get into this course my job as an instructor is to make sure you learn and make sure you pass. Um, and that's, that's a huge change in attitude that I think, you know, we don't see the benefits this year, but we'll see them in 20 years for the game in this country for sure. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think coach education is moving ahead. I really like where it's going. And yeah, I think the overall standard of coaching is getting better. No, it's definitely getting better, but it's mm-hmm. like you're saying, it's, you know, needing people like in your, yourself to challenge that and keep pushing that forward is important. Going alongside this, the coach that's stuck, the coach that's maybe lacks a little bit of self-awareness. I want to throw this at you and, and see what you thought. And this is my reflections. We've we've always praised coaches and, and held them into really high value throughout history, basically, with John Wooden, you mentioned, or if it was Sir Matt Busby back in the day. Like, we've always held winning coaches being successful but in my generation, when I was younger, and, and I'm sure uh, over here as well, yourself, the, the developer and the development process was never really held in, in high regard. Have we, as a coaching community or social media, whatever it is, have we started glamorizing development today? And do you think if we have, that's starting to become a factor in why these coaches are a little bit reluctant to, to maybe change their ways? You what um do you mean development as a coach or player development? Player development, yeah. Like so, I mean, we all want to develop the next Messi, right? And everyone wants to be Pep now as well. So, you know, you want to have this youth development that that plays like Ajax did, and you want to be able to develop the next. But in reality, neither of them are going to happen. Yeah, no, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, it's. You know, there's a tendency in coaching to hang your hat if if you work on the youth level to hang your hat on. Well, I developed this guy or I developed that guy, and I, I really think personally, I've been lucky enough. You know, from you know having MLS draft picks who I coached when they were ten um, to you know college kids that went and played in Europe and stuff like that. Like you know, I, I've seen a lot of kids do well, and I really think the ones who make it. Um, it's almost like the, the thing we say to doctors do no harm, right? Like those kids with the genetics and and the motivation and everything, we can facilitate them, but it's really, it's really their journey that they make it. Um, you know, I, I had a really interesting conversation with, uh, Mark Posich, Christian's dad, you know, how just when, when he was growing up until he went to Dortmund, you know, Mark only let him go to two organized practices a week. Right. That was his thing. Now, you know, Christian came home and worked an hour or two hours a day on his game. Obviously, he had a dad who was an excellent coach and player who could who could train him. But it, it's sort of like, it, you know, everyone wants to say, yep, that was my kid. That was me. 
But I think really what we do is we, as coaches, provide the ignition by creating an environment that makes a kid fall in love with the game that keeps them going and showing up and playing. And then if they have all the things come together with a healthy dose of luck that they don't get injured badly or at the wrong time, they make it. And, and you know what, maybe they call us up 10 years later and be like, you know what, you were, you were one of the people, um, that, that really helped me make it. Um, thank you. But I, I think sometimes we try to take too much credit for that because it gives us legitimacy in the room, right? Like who's done more for the game of soccer in this country? Um, the, you know, Landon Donovan's first AYSO coach, um, Bruce Arena, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, who, who, who's to say versus the coach who's been coaching for 25 years and every year all his players come back because he or she makes them fall in love with the game. Um, you know, they've all made a significant contribution to the growth of the game. Um, and, and, you know, if we're around long enough, you probably get lucky enough that that one special talent will come across your path. And in most for 99% of coaches, our job in that point is to promote them to the next level. <laughs> mm. You know, like you've outgrown me, please move on. Yeah, stay out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> stay out of the way. Yeah. All right, we'll take a quick break there. For those of you that tuned into last week's podcast, you may have heard that Modern Soccer Coach has teamed up with Sports Lab 360 to produce an entire library of session plans that was just added to their platform. So I've always been a big believer in the effectiveness of the platform, but with this addition, I would urge every coach listening to go to their website and check it out and see how it will help your players. The timing has never been better, of course. For a limited time, Sports Lab 360 is offering Modern Soccer Coach podcast listeners a season subscription for one team at a flat rate of just $200. That is a bargain. So it's affordable, effective, and you will notice a huge difference in the level of your team's understanding amongst your players, as well as their ability to understand the process, the instructions that you're providing them. So grab your phone, your email, your tablet, whatever it is, reach out to them to get started. Contact Nick at SportsLab360 and tell them Gary sent you. Get your team hooked up for this whole spring. Okay, back to John. This is what I, I kind of wanted to get your advice for coaches because this is what a, a lot of coaches, youth coaches I talk to and who are well-intentioned, improving their competence, hungry to get better, reflective, all these great stuff. But the culture over here obviously is 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 a little bit different. So it's going to take more resistance, met with more resistance from wins, losses, et cetera, et cetera. When they're why, because you mentioned about about you know, finding your why, if the coach's why is driven in love of the game and doing things the right way, but the why of the organization in terms of maybe the club owners or board members or parents are driven in dollars or personal interest, how does that coach stay on track, keep working hard or, or without falling out with everyone every week, you know? Yeah, it's such a great question. And, and it's, I think it's a hard question to answer in general, because everyone's situation is, is different, right? And certainly I've been the director of an organization where maybe I'm driving the organizational why, and I've been just the coach where, you know, sometimes we can't change the ethos of the organization, but we do, we are in charge of our own kingdom, 
right? So, so even though the organization is pushing A, B, and C, it doesn't mean that our authentic self and what we really care about doesn't come across in our own little kingdom with our team or our two teams in terms of, you know, celebrating the, the individual and, and, and coaching the right way. I think at some point where if those things conflict too much, then you have to ask yourself, am I, am I coaching in the right organization? Am I, am I in the right place? Right. Because, you know, like <clears throat> for me personally, because I have a lot of experience, um, and I believe very strongly in coaching a certain way because I have a lot of evidence to back that up. When I see something I don't agree with, well, like I'll challenge a coach, be like, well, why, why are you doing it that way? Um, you know, can you give me like a, a reason? Like, I'm okay. If you can tell me why you're doing it and satisfy me, like, amen to that, because it's a beautiful, incredible, diverse game, the way we teach it. But, um, you know, if the organization if a club I worked for came to me and said, you're coaching 12 year old boys, um, 75% of your practice, um, has to be one kid, one ball doing this. I would say, I'm not doing that. If you know, see you later. Right. Because that's wrong. Mm -hmm. And, and, and the kids won't come back and they're not going to get better. And it's just a misapplication or misunderstanding of how people learn. Right. So if the conflict's that big, sometimes you got to walk away. But I always say, before you walk away, can you create your own little kingdom that takes all the things that they've learned, maybe from me, from you, from, you know, other sources of good information and, and implement that. And if ever your club comes into conflict with like what your, your principles that are sound, that are firmly based in evidence and your authentic self, then sometimes you just got to say, maybe this isn't a good fit for me. Let's talk about character, character development. That that comes into the book where, you know, it's one of Todd Bean's, one of his three C's. I know it's something that Anson Dorrance talks about as well. Again, difficulty in, in character development is is this piece where you're exposing them to adversity or helping them to adversity. I talk to a, a couple of my colleagues that work at Division One, Division Two, and, and sometimes you get the player who has not been in adverse situations so your goal as a coach is to expose slash support them with it and help them and but if you're the first one who's associated with supporting them with it and you're not sitting in a multi-million dollar practice facility sometimes you're associated with a bad guy if you know yeah. what I mean. so I, how do how do we i suppose and even like i have a i have a four-year-old i and life is going to be a lot easy i think for him at school and soccer programs how do we expose these kids to some form of adversity without obviously keeping it safe. Yeah. And I, so I think that's a fantastic question. And uh, again, probably most of your listeners do follow the work that Todd Bean does, but, but he's amazing. And I think he's a super, super important voice in, in our game. And I've had the privilege of going over to Spain and being part of his coaching courses and teaching a little bit there. And uh, they're wonderful. I mean, they're amazing. And, um, and, I, I love Todd because again, you know, character is a pillar. Cognition is a pillar, right? Like these are, these things all go together. We can't pull one away. And, um, you know, when you, when you talk to people at the highest level of sport, what's the, you know, what's the 
difference between those who make it and those who don't. Usually it's their ability to deal with adversity, right? Um, this researcher from England, Dave Collins, he says, talent needs trauma, right? The difference between almost champions and super champions in his words are, you know, people who get the adversity and then they overcome it. And adversity might mean the death of a parent, you know, growing up an orphan, a divorce, illness, whatever it is, there's lots of different things for adversity. And and there's also some really interesting research being done by Collins and Joe Baker in Canada on, you know, if, if character is the greatest determinant of whether people make it at the highest level, if mentality and mental skills, well, shouldn't we be teaching that from a younger age? Shouldn't we be incorporating these things into our practices. And so I think our job as coaches is um, if we have a bunch of kids that, you know, they don't really, you know, they, they never face that much adversity. How do we blend that in to our practice? Right. And it could be, you know, field-based adversity, like, um, you know, I, I love, you know, playing games where it's last goal wins. Right. So, all right. It's nice that you're up three nil last goal wins. Right. Or I'll just be like one minute left. Yeah, you're up three nil. Ah, last goal is worth four. Go. Mm-hmm. Right. And and like things like that. They're like, coach, come on. Or I'll just, you know, in the middle of practice, you know, I'll just make a bad call. That's a penalty kick, you know, and my group's really competitive and they'll get all pissed at me. I'm like, sorry, it's a penalty. Deal with it. Right. That's adversity. Um, all the way up to, you know, uh, you know, Eddie Jones just coached England to the World Cup final in rugby. Like he's famous for, you know, being at a training camp and calling the bus driver and say, don't show up at the hotel. Um, Let me figure out how my players get to the practice facility. (laughs) Will they go get themselves a cab or will they stand at the hotel going, oh, the bus didn't show up. We don't know what to do. (laughs) So at every level, coaches are always playing with this and and testing the character of their athletes. So um, if, if behavior is really the thing that drives long-term performance. If I'm coaching youth, teaching behaviors is one of the most important things that I do, not just an afterthought. Yeah, I think this is so important because those examples that you just gave were, those are like controlled adversity, where in the reality of things, like it's not that bad, a bus is late, 10 minutes here and there, or you you lose a 5v5 game. And, And this is something that, Again, what I look at social media and you talk about culture, like there there has to be promoting growth has to be taking people somewhere in my eyes rather than making everyone friends and sitting having a picture like that. That's not culture. That's not building culture. So do you think that as coaches, how do we do that? How do we do that in our culture rather than, you know, does that come from the coach? Does that come from a DOC uh, where do you see that? I suppose same as the assessment thing. I mean, because I think it's really, really important because as these players are getting in, they're coming to 18, 19 years of age, John, and you're well aware they're coming to college and they have never tasted any form of playing time, any form of losses. And it's just a recipe for disaster when you remove the pl- the parents' support from it as well. Oh, you're, you're exactly right. Right. They, they've never lost that, that crutch. Right. So I have teenage kids. Um, and, um, you know, I, I remember, you know, my, my daughter, she just turned 14 and we just gave her, her a phone for the first time. 
And my wife and I have talked about how many different times she has had to solve an issue on her own because she didn't have a phone in her hand that was a crutch, (laughs) right? To call mom and dad and say, oh, I missed the bus. What should I do? Right. Well, I don't have a phone. I don't want to walk back to the house. So maybe if I know if I walk, you know, a quarter mile to the last stop on the bus stop, I'll catch it there. Right. Mm-hmm. My 10 year old solved this problem rather than, oh, my God, I lost my, you know, I missed mm-hmm. the bus. Solve it for me. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think as as parents, we're really influential in this. You know, if we're the helicopter, if we pluck them out of every difficult situation instead of taking a deep breath and saying, you know what, this is going, this is potentially a really impactful moment, right? You got benched for the first time. You got cut for the first time. Um, you, you didn't, you're not playing, you know, whatever that adversity is, that sport is so good at presenting with us. If we can just take the attitude of, well, what did you learn from this? That's going to help you. Um, instead of intervening, calling the coach, calling the athletic director, stepping in, um, you know, it's just, it's just, uh, you know, it's just such an important thing because at some point we're not going to be there for them. And, you know, that's where you have kids at Stanford as freshmen, not knowing how to do their laundry, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Because they've never had to do it before. And boy, are they book smart, but they have no life skills at all. Well, it goes back to that character and, and taking a bigger look at character because again, John, you well know it. Come signing day, great player, even better person. Everyone, if if that was the case, then we you wouldn't need coaches if everyone is great players and great people. Or can we not take an approach where we are actually asking a little bit more of can character development not go down to conflict management? Can it not go down to a little bit more specific of adversity? But and and to and to go back to Pulisic, where you're saying about. His dad, I think, and I know nothing about his upbringing, his journey, but I like the best parent in that is, is a kid who's obviously gone to two cultures and survived, but also how he dealt with Lampard dropping him earlier on the season. That he could have been on the first plane back, he could have said something to the media, could have blown up, but that is that is something that you're almost pre-planning a world of adversity in a in a very very safe environment that you're you're not really getting exposed to it well i i think two things that mark and and kelly did really well for christian number one as parents of a very very good young player right christian you know was at 12 was on the 14 national team right so from a very young age he had lots of people asking him be on this team do this lots of demands on his time and his parents were very good at saying no Mm -hmm. right that we are the general contractors here. We're the only one overseeing for our child all these opportunities he has. And we're going to have to say no to some really, really good things um, with great coaches and great opportunities because he needs time to be a boy, right? And he needs time to hang out with his friends. He needs time to rest and recover. And then number two, you know, when Mark and, and Christian moved to Dortmund, um, the first thing they did was, and I don't speak German, but in German, they wrote on the wall of the apartment, no excuses, Mm. right? No excuses in a big, bold letters. And it sat there for all those years. No excuses. You want this, Christian. You asked to go to Europe. You asked this. There's going to be good days. There's going to be bad days, but there will never be 
is excuses. You always own it. And I think that years of that no excuses approach is why when he got dropped by Lampard, he didn't make excuses. Mm. Right. And he was going, I mean, you saw him in that U.S. national team game. He was really struggling. And I mean, emotionally, he was done. But a lot of people in that moment would have made excuses, blamed their coaches, didn't. And he just got back to work. And then when he got his opportunity, he took it. And and I mean, I, I think what an amazing moment and one that should be highlighted more than it is for young, aspiring players. No excuses. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. And the problem is, is that, like, problem is I've never heard that, John. And that, <laughs> well, there you go, right? And I'm on, I and mean, you know me, like, I'm on social media quite a bit. So yeah. the problem is, is that that's not wow enough to get 5,000, do you know what I mean? Or if he had told Lampard where to go, I'd have heard of that there right as soon yeah. as he did it. So, again, it's, it's I'm, I'm showing my age here. I'm just complaining about kind of social media and society in general, but... I think as coaches, I think it's important that we know the difference between one or the other and what we decide to promote or what we try and get from players is is a bit more than the, the headline acts, I suppose. Well, yeah. And I mean, again, we li- live in this world where we think we can have serious, nuanced discussion in 165 characters or less, mm-hmm. right? And that's just ridiculous. And so, you know, I've had people say to me, uh, you know, oh, you know, your your 2,000 word blog posts, they're too long. People won't read them because they don't have the attention span. Or, hey, you know, your podcasts, they're an hour or an hour and 20 minutes. Those are too long. People won't listen to them. Um, or, hey, you know, you wrote a 300 page book. People won't read it. And I'm like, well, maybe I'm not writing it for them. Mm. Right. Like I, these are important things that I want. We have to go deep enough. Right. I feel like you know, if, if I do a 25 minute interview with a person, um, we, we just get the canned answers, right? If I want to go deep, you know, the good stuff comes from, you know, an hour and beyond. Um, and you know, when I write a blog, right, it's not just to catch, you know, yes, does the headline matter? Of course it does. But like, you know, I, I, I want to give something good treatment with research. So if someone says, yes, this makes sense to me, and then they can go down the rabbit hole and read the research links and, and things like that. And yes, I want to tell stories and I want to make it entertaining, but I don't, you know, I, I don't engage a lot on Twitter and I don't engage a lot on Facebook um, with people who who disagree because it's hard to engage in arguments with people who have endless amounts of time. And I don't have endless amounts of time. Right. Um, so, so, I'll, you know, if, if they're not open to even considering that they're wrong, it's not an argument that I'm willing to have. And then please don't read my blog or don't read the book. Cause it's probably not for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, do you know, I, I've, I've a little bit more free time now the off seasons. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, there you go. Right. I thought, I thought today, you know, I thought I'll put something up and I'll, I'll stick around. And what I was trying to do was I, I posted something about, about coaches maybe being a bit more empathetic to the needs of their players, of course. And, and of course people jump on it. And, and this is what bugs me is people jump on it and then say, yeah, coaches are awful. So what I want to try and promote then is that, it's difficult to coach today and parents and club managers can make that difficult as well. So everyone needs to be aligned in the same way. And once it was three or four, why am I arguing this with someone, whatever, you know, uh, but it comes back to that there, but to, to go to your, to go back to your book, it is really well detailed. There's, there's so many different, I mean, culture moving it from, from, uh, 
from different places, from different people. People, I'm going to advise coaches to, to, to go and read the book. They're reading it after Christmas. New Year will then arrive. Uh, New Year's resolutions. Training will start up. I mean, what are some things that a, that a coach should, should put in their development plan? I suppose let's go to a young coach should put in their development plan who really hasn't had much guidance up until now. Well, I think first of all, <clears throat> we live in this era where there's so much information out there, right? And so, how do how do we sort through it? So, go to trusted sources, right? Like I, you know, you have, you know, you share really great stuff. Your books are are great. There's a reason that you write the things you write. Now, I might want to play a different way, but I can't say, you know, Gary just woke up this morning and made this up. Right. And, and so there's different methodologies. There's different things. But when you come across a book like mine, I, you know, I write in the intro, um, you, your job, you shouldn't take something like this and throw out everything you've done and, and start from scratch. But what's 10 percent you can change? Right. What's something new that you can layer into your practice that's going to make it a little bit better? So I think you actually shared an article on LinkedIn the other day about Liverpool and how their rondos are not just possession games, they're pressing games, mm -hmm. right? And so we're incorporating all this stuff into it. So we can't just coach offensive movement. It's like, hey, if the defenders aren't pressing and doing all that piece, well, it's not realistic, right? And so like that was something where I, you know, I, I, I took the article and I shared it with the DOC. I work for one of the Portland Timbers affiliates and I share it with our coaching director. I said, hey, this would be great for all the coaches. Like, this is a really good piece, right? Your practice has multi-layers. Um, th there's multiple things you should be thinking of here. And, uh, you know, and he was like, yeah, it was great, right? So it's like, I take that and I say, okay, at the next session I run, I really have to be mindful of this other piece of it as well right? That we're working on both these things at the same time. And that's just a great reminder for me. So if you read my book and you haven't done anything on team culture or values, maybe that's your 10%. If your practices are all masked practices and there's no defenders, decisions, directions, all these things that we need in a highly dynamic game like soccer, um, well, then I hope you'll really consider how do I make my practice more representative of the actual game so that it will transfer. So I, I think as a coach, how do I layer on, take something that maybe I'm doing that's good and make it a little bit better, turn up the dial a little bit. And I, I think that's what great coaches do, right? When Pep Guardiola finds something new, he doesn't throw out everything he's ever done. He says, ah, that's a little twist that I think is going to make a difference. Brilliant. John, what a great way to finish it. Thank you so much. I'm going to urge everyone to go read it. Um, I've got a few things in my notes myself, so I'm, I'm going to finish it off. But I, I really appreciate you writing it. And thanks so much for coming on. Awesome. And Gary, let, let me just say, if you don't mind, like anyone who, you know, likes the book, Every Moment Matters, Amazon, my website, Change the Game Project. But if you have a question, I mean, please email me, john, J-O-H-N, at changingthegameproject.com. Like my, I get the most out of interacting with, with coaches who are hungry to get better. And, you know, the book's called Every Moment Matters because, you know, we never know as coaches whether you know, this is, this might be the day that that kid is ready to learn and our words and our actions are going to stick with them for the rest of their life. And so if, if this book or this interview hits you that way, please reach out. I'd love to help you out. Brilliant. Awesome. Thank you, John. Thank you, Gary. Appreciate it. Thanks so much to John for his insight there. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. 
Yeah, one of the the great things about doing a podcast is that it almost holds you to a standard of continually reading because when you bring on guests who have written books, you obviously need to do your homework and your research about finding out what they're talking about and and kind of get their angle on things. So I really enjoy the way the podcast (laughs) makes me read more, I suppose. But in reading more books, where I am as a coach, I enjoy looking inside of the person and what they're trying to promote, not just the content of what they're pushing, if that makes sense. So the content can be the information, but there's always an underlying message of what the book is about, and that's linked from chapter to chapter. So the chapters can be about different topics, but there can be a message throughout that there. And I enjoy the process of looking for that. And for John's, it was pretty clear. And that was probably the biggest thing I enjoyed about the book was that the process was about reflection and then looking closer. And that piece that I said about, you know, you look overseas and you do this and you go to Spain and yeah, it's great. Like we've had so many great people on the podcast to do that. I suppose we haven't had one person that's challenged us and said, hey, you don't need to be going everywhere how about going here first what about looking there first what about this coach here in our own culture and it's something that really made me reflect for a couple of days and I thought yeah, I, I probably could get more out of my I don't know if it's a micro culture if that's even a word but I could get more from coaches and cultures around me than just looking away all the time so I really enjoy that that part of it I enjoy the process that he puts in place of action steps in aspects like reflection, in aspects of focus, in aspects that he's challenging you to undertake, but he's not just challenging you and saying, hey, there you go, you need to be better at that, or you need to be better in this. He's also challenging you and then saying in the book, this is how you can do it. These are small steps that you can add to your life every day, small little habits that can help change your perspective on things. So really enjoyed it. I had high hopes after reading the books for the conversation and and I could have talked to him for another hour there. Uh, I only got about halfway through the questions that I had. So that's always a good sign. So yeah, for sure. Go and check the book out. Let me know what you think. Uh, Let me know if if it came across that way to you as well after you read it. So thanks so much to John. As always, we'd love to hear your thoughts at Gary Kernin on Instagram, at Gary Kernin on Twitter. Thanks for listening. As always, before you shoot off, if you wouldn't mind doing a little five-star review, it helps with the promotions. It helps with the sponsors. Uh, As always, thank you. And I will speak to you next week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.